Welcome to Chapter 2 of the Jesus Adventure, a study in the spirituality training system of Jesus of Nazareth. Hello, thank you for coming to our second segment in the Jesus Adventure series. As always, we start by honoring and inviting God to teach us with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. Please guide us as we examine your word and seek to learn what Jesus came to teach. Help us, O Spirit of God, to hear your invitation to follow its call for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Now, as we learned in the last segment, God has been calling out all of humanity with an invitation to drink from his fountain, to dine at his table. And Jesus came to firmly, faithfully establish that invitation for all time and make it available to everyone. Now, in the prophet Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 3, it says, if you're thirsty, come and drink water. If you don't have any money, come, eat what you want. Drink wine and milk without paying a cent. Why waste your money on what really isn't food? Why work hard for something that doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and you will enjoy the very best foods. Pay close attention. Come to me and live. I will promise you the eternal love and loyalty that I promised David. You see, this call went out long ago. The prophet Isaiah, as we mentioned uh, in earlier studies, he taught this and he brought this, this message hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. This call went out long ago. This is God offering to fill every need if we will come, drink, and listen, and pay attention. Do you see it? He's offering this without cost. Yes, I know you don't hear that very often, but he offers it without cost. In fact, you couldn't offer to pay God for it because it would be an insult. What is God saying here? He is predicting for us the ministry of the Messiah, which reveals to us the nature of the spiritual life of Christ that's given to us without charge. Here's the interesting part of it. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So you see, this is not something new that came with Jesus. This is the call the Creator has been sending out to us from the beginning. Now, there's only one condition to this free life of the Spirit that Jesus came to give, and that is to come, to listen, to pay close attention, trust in the promise, the eternal love and loyalty that was promised to David, the king who was promised to be the ancestor of the Messiah, is offered to us all. And that means he wants to give it to you. So let's explore what that looks like today by understanding what it looked like in Jesus' day. We call this straightening the map. You see, Jesus said something very important at the beginning of his ministry. He said, the time has come. God's kingdom will soon be here. Turn back to God and believe the good news. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. When Jesus came, one of the first things we notice is that he made friends with ordinary people, some very messed up people, and most of the religious crowd didn't like him. It says he was a friend of sinners, of corrupt businessmen, of prostitutes, of foul-mouthed manual laborers, and that's not how most folks think of him. And it's fascinating when you consider it. Jesus was actually frustrated with the religious people most of the time because they wanted to complicate things. Even now, as it was in Jesus' times, religious people think that we need to make it difficult for people to find God. They think he won't welcome us and give us his spirit unless you do something special or hard. Well, 
it tells us in the Bible that for his entire first year of his ministry, Jesus went through all of the towns and villages of his country talking with ordinary people, and he urgently invited them to turn to God, saying that a great opportunity has come to them. You see, Jesus put God first in all of his teaching, and Jesus made sure we know that God is approachable if we're humble enough to ask him. In other words, we have to start with one point on the map, God. If we start anywhere else, then we start with confusion. It's like having a map turned in the wrong direction. This is where Jesus started with developing his followers to become his apprentices, in the same way that a map starts with a marking for true north. We have to start with one fixed point, one point that is permanent and unwavering. Jesus came and invited people, people like us, to turn to God. Before he said anything else, this is what he is still inviting people to do now, turn to God. Many people teach you that you can only approach God after you change something about yourself or if you approach him through their organization. But Jesus said something different. In fact, he was showing us that these notions are the opposite of what God wants. God is seeking hearts to be open to him, willing to seek him above and before any other system or any other ideal, willing to seek him directly, personally, and humbly. Churches have a purpose and a place, and it's not our calling to undermine churches in any way. That's not what we're here for. But what we are here for is to remind people that Jesus himself is the connection point to God, not any organization. Jesus openly invites everyone to come to God through him. Any organization that tries to get between you and Jesus is actually offending God by putting a stumbling block in front of you. Now, Jesus says this repeatedly in many places, and we have multiple witnesses in the scripture to tell us this. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, John chapter 10, verse 9, John chapter 14, verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, and 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. These will all be at the end of the study for you to look up if you desire to do that. My point is, is that this is not just one place that's telling us this. This is Jesus telling us this over and over again. God wants a personal relationship with us. There's been an open-handed invitation to join with him from the beginning. And since Jesus has offered this invitation, reiterating what God has already said long ago, Let's consider it for a moment. Will you accept this offer? As it says, it has been offered without cost. This is an offer to eat and drink at the table of your creator. He wants you to come and join him without cost to receive his goodness. He wants you to know him, to be part of his kingdom. He's coming with an open hand and saying, I want you. It's just that simple. Turning to God through Jesus begins an unimaginable adventure with him. Now, I will share a little later a story of a woman who called out to Jesus and answered that call, and it changed literally everything about her life. What would it take for you now to do that? Have a conversation with God on your own right now. Stop this program for a moment. Admit the truth to God. He already knows it anyway. 
Here's a suggestion. Maybe talk to him like this. God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I want to know you. I know that I'm not part of your kingdom right now. In fact, I'm not even sure you would really accept me because I'm not a good person. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've done things that probably offend you, but I see that Jesus is offering me good news. I see that your Bible tells me that you want to offer me a relationship through Jesus without any cost. Help me to turn to you and to know you. I'm willing to turn to you and receive this offer of a relationship. If you'll receive me, if you're real, change my life. Now, at this point, we're clarifying his call. Because you see, it's not just enough to say, turn back to God. But he's calling us to believe the good news. So the right focus from Jesus' point of view is to turn to God, not away from something else. If we turn away from some particular sin, bad habit, or false belief, we may choose another false way and still be wandering instead of truly finding the way of God. And this is a testimony I've often heard, even from ordained religious leaders, they had replaced their addiction with religion, but really didn't come to know Jesus until much later. In fact, some never do, because they become disillusioned from trying to impress God. They approached him the wrong way, and it didn't work. And when that happened, many have turned away entirely. You see, this is not God's plan for us. Jesus is offering an open hand. Come, come now, come as you are. Take his hand, receive him, because he is completely willing to receive you. Now, the religious crowd worry a lot about that. They want you to know that you're messed up, sinful, and wretched. Well, it's true, we all are. They want you to get fixed and get moral so you don't embarrass them. Listen, Jesus isn't worried about that. He's interested in you. He wants you to come to him without apprehensions. Are you messed up? Yes. Have you sinned? Yes. Even if no one else knows, God knows. And God also knows that he is the only one, the only way to get your messed up bits healed, your dead heart to be made alive, your prideful ego softened and humbled. You see, from God's perspective, the absolute worst thing you can do is try to make yourself acceptable to him without his life-giving spirit doing the work within you. The most offensive and intolerant religious people are the ones who are trying to fix it all without God doing the work. So believe Jesus. Turn to God. There's good news, really. Good, good, good news. A good report for each of us when we do. What is this kind of believe? It's simple, actually. The word used in the Bible's original language means trust or depend. It's the kind of trust you need in order to repel off a cliff or to get on a plane the first time. No matter how anxious you may feel, you know that you can trust in Jesus because of his character. He wouldn't mislead us. He's simply asking us to make the choice to believe that he has good things in store for us. Some people think Jesus is asking you to make a blind leap in the dark, but that's not it at all. He's asking you to make an informed decision. He's willing to give you reasons to believe, but ultimately, you have to make the choice to believe. And belief in the way of God is simply to take action on what you know. We always want to see and know before we're willing to believe. But Jesus said you can't ever really know the truth until you believe. 
That is until you trust. And that means to trust him enough simply to take a step of faith. Well, how do we find that true north part, that marking on the map of our souls, of this world, of the spirit, of learning things of the spirituality of Jesus? Well, we call this finding true north the expedition's owner. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus came from heaven. Yes, he was born, and he lived in a natural life, but he was the only one who existed before his birth. You see, he came from heaven, and he came here to us, to deliver God's message as God's personal presence in the world. And when he's saying that all things have been committed to him by his father, we can look back through all of those prophecies of the Old Testament, some of which we've already done, and we can see that God has put his stamp of approval on him. Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere. He didn't come out of the dark. He came with a specific mission and a specific message to reach each of us. So before you can begin any journey into an unknown territory, it's important to find true north. Map makers take great efforts to correctly identify true north on their maps and to correctly mark this for us, for our benefit. It's necessary to do that in order to avoid the natural confusion that we find on any journey. Without finding true north on a map and finding our alignment to true north, to our location, we can never use the map to find our way. You simply get lost from the very beginning. Even just a few degrees off course is enough to miss the destination by a thousand miles on a long journey. Jesus aligned himself at the beginning of his ministry for us to properly understand the adventure. He makes it clear that he has not come in his own name. He came in the name of his Father. He has come in the name of God Almighty. You see, Jesus claims that his Father is the one who spoke to Abraham. Yehovah, the one who is, I am that I am, the same one who spoke to Moses at the burning bush and who gave Moses the commandments written in stone at the top of Mount Sinai. Jesus quotes the Old Testament Bible, the prophets, King David, King Solomon, and especially Moses repeatedly demonstrating that he is in accord with them and with the one whom they revealed, Almighty God, Yehovah, who is the creator of all things. This, Jesus tells us repeatedly, is his father and his authority for what he taught. In Isaiah 52, verses 13 to chapter 53, verse 12, we can read the father's description of the Messiah, whom God calls my servant. There, God describes the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And we learn that God says in verse 11, he is satisfied with the work accomplished. So because of that, we can know that Jesus truly does have the approval of his Father on all of his work for us. So we can be assured by Jesus that no one has higher authority. Please listen to that carefully. We can be assured by Jesus, no one has higher authority. No message that contradicts Jesus is valid. We can know that the message of Jesus is truly God's intention for us. God is calling us into a direct personal, honest relationship with him through Jesus. This is God's desire for you to know him and be known by him intimately. 
Well, Jesus is the most incredible man. Amazingly, Jesus revealed the prophets from the Hebrew Bible over and over in his life, not just by the words he taught, but by the very things he did, fulfilling exactly what they said hundreds of years, some of them thousand years before he came. His entire life was a miraculous stream of events that precisely fulfilled what the prophets had said in the Jewish Bible, which Christians call the Old Testament. Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We will learn in this series what Jesus meant by the last three words, but to fulfill. Doing that requires understanding what Jesus said. He is not abolishing or destroying the teachings of Moses and the prophets. Jesus came in fulfillment of them, that is to say, in completion of them. There's a continuous stream of consciousness which begins with Abraham through to Moses and the prophets, which finally is made complete in Jesus. And that entire epic adventure story results in what Jesus said, if the Son gives you freedom, you are free. John chapter 8, verse 36. Therefore, Jesus revealed the heart of his amazing Father. In doing so, Jesus revealed things that could never be known as clearly from the Old Testament. You see, from Jesus we learn that God the Father is more than the architect of the universe. He's also the architect of the entire redemption plan that Jesus came to give us. Jesus reveals more about God to us than all of the previous prophets combined. Yet, as we take a thorough look, we see that he never contradicts any of the prophets of the Old Testament in any way. In fact, he fulfills their predictions with every step, every word, every deed. So briefly here, we will look at whom Jesus reveals God to be directly from the book of Matthew in the New Testament. He's the God whose word gives life to humanity, the God who should never be dared, the God worthy of being honored, the God in heaven who is perfect, the God who sees what happens in secret, the God we pray to who knows our needs, the God in heaven whose name is sacred, the God whose kingdom will come on earth, the God whose will is done in heaven. He's the God who cares for you and knows your needs, the God who meets your needs when you seek him, the God who gives good things to his children that ask, the God who is Jesus' Father in heaven, the God who should be feared, who can send you to hell, the God who knows if even a sparrow is harmed, the God to whom Jesus will mediate for his followers, the God who hides and reveals truth as he chooses, the God whose kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, the God who adopts those who will do his will, the God who is far away from hypocrites, and the God who uproots what he has not planted. Well, every journey's beginning is important to understand what is necessary. It's been said that the most important part of any great journey is the first step. We can't make progress until we start. So God sent Jesus to invite each of us to take the step of trusting that he has a good plan for each of us, because none of us can correctly sort life out until we turn to God, who created our life. We can never be good enough. We can never sort it all out. We can never be complete, as Jesus' apprentice John said, until we follow Jesus and turn to God. That's the first great step of the Jesus adventure. Would you consider 
that the reason you are reading this is because God is calling you to take that important step? Would you consider that God himself is inviting you, asking you, even pleading with you to trust him? You see, the successful followers who call out to God directly and personally, they tell God they are willing to follow Jesus, willing to turn to his Father and trust that he has good news. You see, Jesus revealed that God has a plan to prosper you and not harm you. Jesus revealed that God wants to give you a great future and a great hope. I'm going to take a moment just to invite you here to write down for yourself in your own statement what you are hoping for and what you're willing to entrust to God. Just between you and God, write down your thoughts, write down your request to God to prosper you and not to harm you. Write down that you will trust him. You see, Jesus said to a very religious scholar, I tell you the truth, no one can see the royal power and authority of God unless he's born anew. Some Bible translations say born from above, others say born again. But the point is, is that we need a new kind of birth in order just to perceive the kingdom of God. Jesus also said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is asking us here, and he wants us to realize that something entirely new must happen. In order for us to even perceive the presence, power, and authority of God, we call this the kingdom. But we're talking about his true manifest presence which no mere mortal can perceive. God wants to give us this new experience, this new birth. Like the normal flesh birth, it's a process. But the good news is that it's all about growth. And it's all about new, amazing experiences. It's all about an amazing life adventure. There's literally nothing like it. To experience this, we have to be made alive in Jesus. Because the problem is that the whole human race has been born into the flesh, but without a spiritual God consciousness, because the rebellion of our first ancestor, Adam, separated us all from God. Not only that, but we ourselves, by our actions, by our rebellious nature, have also separated ourselves from God. Living an adventure journey with Jesus is always amazing. Sometimes it's a little bit scary. But guess what? Jesus said the Son of Man came to look for and to save people who were lost. See, he's doing the work. He also told us that God so loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only Son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life. Maybe you don't know what Jesus is talking about. Maybe you're unclear. Maybe you don't feel lost exactly, but you just don't know where you are in your life. That's not the kind of loss that Jesus means. Jesus is talking about losing something incredibly precious, intrinsically valuable, that is worth more than all your wealth. Now, often when religious people review this, they think of something we've lost. And it's true, we've lost that connection with God. But there's something intrinsically greater that we're talking about here. This is something that is more about what God has lost. You see, it helps to know that God considers humanity, the entire human race, a family that he has lost. Thinking, think of it like having your kids taken away from you by a court 
because someone lied about you. Only in our case, it's more complicated than that because it was the humans who believed the lie and rejected God. But the result has been the same. God's heart to redeem us is the same. God wants his kids back. He had to do something radical to win his kids back. But God was willing to do that because he loves his kids more than anything. The only condition that the kids each have to make the choice. Each one of us has to be willing to have the heart of a child and trust in God. Each of us has to be willing to say, I don't want to be separated from my father in heaven anymore. We have to recognize that our race rejected him from the beginning, and then we have to accept that this is a great problem for each one of us. It's a problem that we can't cure on our own. But the good news is still this. God has given us a way home. He has gone to the most extreme measures to make it possible for us to come home. Jesus came looking for us, all of us, each and every one of us. Well, now we're talking about trusting the shepherd of the adventure. You see, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. John chapter 10, verse 14. When Jesus said this, he was referring to the psalm by King David that says, The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah God is my shepherd. And it says, I shall lack nothing. He lets me rest in green grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Now, anyone listening to Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd back then would know that he was doing two things. He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the shepherd of Israel, the anointed one from God. What's most important is to realize that he's also saying he will lead his people carefully and personally. Jesus even said that if 99 sheep were safe but one was lost, he would go like a shepherd to rescue that one lost sheep. That means Jesus would have done all that he did to rescue us for just one person. That makes it intensely personal, doesn't it? It means that each one matters, each and every single one, you and me, even the ones we don't really like. Jesus is a good shepherd that we can count on. and We can trust ourselves to him. He's worthy of our trust. Now, anyone who has read or heard Psalm 23 knows that it also says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you were with me. And it also says, you set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil, and my cup is so full that it spills over. You see, God wants to prepare a place for each of us at his table. He's inviting us to come to that. Yeah, he wants to lavish on us so that we can have more than we need. It also says in that psalm, Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. See, God wants a relationship with us that is permanent, unwavering, undefeatable. He takes responsibility for making all of that possible. He just wants you and I to accept it and to receive it. That's the key. We have to be willing to receive it, and we receive it by receiving his son. Well, as we wrap this up, we're looking at an adventure principle. Even though we're not good or holy, God accepts everyone humble and sincere enough to come like a child through Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and ask him to be welcomed into the family. 
That's all he's asking for us to do. That's the beginning. That's how we start this amazing journey. Are you like a lamb, hungry enough, or thirsty enough to be willing to follow the shepherd? Are you like a newborn child, hungry for the spirit that flows from God's compassionate heart? Consider how Jesus is like the good shepherd, how he is the good shepherd. Think about how Jesus shows us that God's love is sacrificial and filled with life, like a mother giving birth to a newborn child. Can you trust that Jesus will guide you well and restore your soul? Can you believe that Jesus trusted the Father so much that he went willingly to a Roman cross for the people of this world? Does that kind of love and faithfulness reach into your soul and give you a willingness to step forward on this journey with God? I want to urge you now, stop and talk to God for yourself. Tell him you need him. You want to be born of his spirit. You want Jesus to be your good shepherd, your personal good shepherd. Write that down for yourself. Make note of the day and time that you're asking Jesus to be your own personal shepherd. When you're asking for the Father to give you the Holy Spirit to give life and health to your soul. This has been a presentation of the Jesus Adventure, Chapter 2, The Great Invitation. The Jesus Adventure is a project of Mission 1711. Thank you for following the Jesus Adventure. We hope this has been a blessing to you, encouraging you to dig deeper into knowing Jesus and being known by him. Please remember to search the scriptures of the Holy Bible to see if these things are so. Let's close our time with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the good news. Thank you that in all of your design and plans for the universe, you were willing to remember us who have been your rebellious children. We say yes. We want to accept your offer of relationship. We want to accept your call to turn to him. Help us, O oh God, to know you and be known by you, to trust you and humble ourselves to you like little children in Jesus' precious name.